0: parties and other amazing events visit milu m-i-i-l-u.com this podcast is also brought to you by photographers edit custom image editing for the professional photographer visit photographersedit.com all right Boca podcast listeners we are back for another episode it is a sunny monday morning when we are recording this at least where i'm at um, and it's kind of a nice way to start off the week. It's also great to have brand new guests here on the podcast. We were already having some good conversation. I'm joined today by Polisayo and Didi Ayula. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly?
1: That is good. Okay. All right. Yeah. I just
0: want to make sure we were talking about this um, not only before we started recording, but but then also when we had the opportunity to meet recently at the cookout conference um, about language and you all have had the opportunity to to learn to speak multiple languages over your lifetime. Wh- which are those?
1: So I'm fluent in German okay. um, and, of course, English and then uh, Igbo, which is a Nigerian dialect. And then I speak some Turkish.
2: Yeah. And I'm mostly uh, just English. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I do speak um, Yoruba as well, which is a uh, uh, Nigerian language and a little bit of Arabic because I uh, grew up a little bit in Saudi Arabia.
0: Wow. That's fascinating to me. I don't think I mentioned this to you all when, when we had the opportunity to meet at the cookout, but um, growing up, I played soccer all the way up into college actually. And one of my favorite coaches, maybe my favorite coach that I had was um, a a soccer player, actually former national team soccer player for the Nigerian national team. And uh, I just, I was fascinated not only by his personality, incredible, incredible personality, just so much energy and passion um, that he brought to the game, but also his just beautiful accent as well. And uh, (laughs) I'm I'm just, I'm fascinated by the the Nigerian accent as well, and, and certainly the culture, but... Um, that was a really great exposure for me to the Nigerian culture and and um, a really great opportunity for me, too, as a soccer player to learn from somebody with such experience. But
1: Absolutely. And the food is so amazing. I have to say that.
0: <laughs> is it really? See, now this is something I have not had a lot of experience with, and, and I hope that I have the opportunity, even in the near future, too, to, to travel and spend some time in, in Nigeria one of these days. But uh, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was your differences in personality. I know that you all own a business together and we're going to talk about that business and then get into kind of our main topic for today around uh, visual identity for a brand. But talk to me about how your personalities kind of play off each other in the context of business and and for that matter, in the context of a romantic relationship as well. Personality types, um, how that works together, maybe in some cases cause a little bit of difficulty or conflict in, (laughs) in the context of running a business.
1: Um yeah, so we are very different. Um I likes to joke that we are, you know, like opposite sides of a coin, which is perfect because it's very compliment complimentary. Yeah. I'm definitely the more outspoken one. I you know, I believe in rainbows and endless possibilities and <laughs> you know <laughs> and I'm definitely very kind of aggressive in, you know, pursuing things and, and I feel very I'm very passionate in like what we go after. And I would say Fulisayo is super thoughtful. He is very strategic. Um, he's just like the calm in any storm, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let him talk a little bit about his own personality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's, quiet, he's Fulisayo, you're quietly contemplating all of what is being said there in the background, <laughs> right. I can tell. Yeah, do, do share your, your side of this.
2: Yeah, no, I, I was actually enjoying it. You know, she, I, I wish she kept on going. This was good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, she's exactly right. You know, she's the more forward leaning or I'm the more kind of uh, taking it all in uh, before taking the step kind of person and just kind of thinking things uh Thinking things through a little bit, you know, and she's obviously the the better communicator out of the two of us. (laughs) And, you know, I'm more kind of like a professor, cerebral and kind of getting to the details and, you know, and and she likes to make things colorful and brings in the emotion and the passion.
0: Yeah, which is interesting. And I think we actually talked about this when we met in person as well. But my girlfriend Jill it, it has a similar, we have similar dynamics to you, to you all. So I am the more outspoken, kind of bigger picture, more emotional uh, person that does easily get excited. Um, Jill is more even keel, which is really actually quite refreshing um, on, on multiple levels, but also is better with attention to detail. Um, to an almost amusing extent at, at, at times. I mean, as long as I, and I'm not missing details that are hurting us in some way, <laughs> it's one of those things <laughs> where I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like he, you remembered that thing and I'm just, I'm not great at at those details. Is there, yeah. So, Felicia, is there is there a way, I mean, for all of us, because there are a lot of our personality types, the more emotional, passionate and excited, uh, upbeat, you know, types who are just kind of go, 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 go and maybe miss the details, is there something that you do to, because I could stand to do much better at this, to pay better attention to detail? Is it center around that idea of just being quiet and listening and taking it in? Or is there something else?
2: Yeah, I I think um, it definitely starts with listening. You have to, I mean, the way I think about it, you got to listen 80% of the time, Mm. clarify 10% of the time, and then speak 10% of the time. Wow. And you do that because the thing about it is, you know, a lot you, you need to understand what people are really talking about or where they're trying to get to, to really be able to know how best to help them or how how best to, to fit. Right. And and I, I think, you know, if you do that, if you actually listen, truly listen to what people are saying, you will get um all the details you need to get to. And, and that 10% where you're clarifying things m- ensures that both of you are then on the same page. And, you know, you do that and the last 10%, you know, where you are trying to provide the value that you can bring to the conversation or to whatever's going on uh, will be useful to, to to the person you're talking to.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. And I don't think I've ever quite heard it broken down like that. So listen 80% of the time, clarify 10%. Does the the clarification part is that involve asking questions or is there other 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 elements to that clarification process?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be asking questions because you know if you're listening and you know sometimes people have like just they say things and then they don't finish a point, they jump to something else. If you're really (laughs)
0: listening.
2: (laughs) <laughs> you'll capture that, right? You'll understand that, okay, they didn't really quite finish that thought or really play out what they're talking about. So you ask them about it and like, okay, and this thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So you do need to ask those questions just to make sure, you you know, the, the, what they're talking about is, is complete um, and you have all the information you need to be able to to make sure you're going to provide some value for them. Uh, But then it's also just kind of recapping what they said in a, in a structured sense, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here are the main things that, you know, are are important in what you say. Let me make sure I understood what you said, because we all, you know, perception is reality. We all kind of, somebody say something, you might hear it a different way, just based on your background, your experiences and just what you know. Right. So making sure you repeat it back in your own words, allow them to be able to say, yes, you totally got what I was saying or, or, or no, you didn't quite understand what I was saying.
0: Yeah. I mean, cultural context plays a huge role and absolutely. And and, and so that's a big piece to be considered and, and background. I mean, everybody's background as much as there's part of me in this, in this conversation that can't help, but think about, I think the reality, which is that most of us aren't in the way that we behave, um, at least within a culture and maybe across some cultures, much of how we behave is very, very similar person to person. Now we we all have different backstories, which then affect the way that we've been kind of molded over the years. And so we do bring a different context to the conversation. But mm-hmm. there's this thing that drives me crazy in, in communication, whether it's textual, you know, online, you're you're reading something that somebody wrote or you're having a conversation in person that I think would simplify conversation so much is if we were to actually follow literal meanings of words, how much simpler would communication and conversations be? And when I say literal, I mean like dictionary definition.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, It's interesting how words can mean the exact opposite of what they their literal meaning.
0: <laughs> it, t- truly. Yeah. And and that just seems to kind of complicate the process. I mean, relationships can be difficult, whether they're professional or personal, or some combination of the above, relationships can be difficult enough, but but then when you add in this this element of words having various meanings depending on the context, depending on the person and their background, um, it's easy to get lost in the mix. And man, I just I, it seems like it would simplify it so much, but I'm a bit of an idealist <laughs> and a naive one at that at times. So we'll we'll let that one go. But I really appreciate. I mean, I, I was taking notes as you were writing that, or as you were communicating those ideas. Eighty percent listening, ten percent clarification, ten percent uh, talking or communication. Then. And, and this is a good point of reference, I think, not just for our personal lives, but the way that we approach communication or relationships more generally with our clients or potential clients. So I love the way that we're starting this conversation out. Now, I want to give more context to our listeners because it's not very often that we have photographers or non-photographers, I should say, on the Boca podcast. And I like this. I like that we're having somebody outside of the the photography genre, if you will, come on the podcast today and share their expertise, but talk to us first about your business. And then we're going to get into this first question about brand position.
1: Absolutely. So we own a design studio and we really just kind of specialize in creative out-of-the-box designs that helps our brands uh, or individuals that we work with stand out you know that is really at the core of everything we do whether it's beautiful design for your you know web presence beautiful design of your visual identity whatever we do at the core of it is just basically make sure that we're working with our clients really understanding what their goal is for their businesses or for their you know life experience sure that we create something um, just kind of tailored to them and outstanding, something that's really representative of what they want their brand to be. So that's really what we, I guess, strive to do and what we try to do.
0: Perfect. And and just for further context, for everybody listening in, if you go to ODA, O-D-A creative.com, same thing on Instagram, we'll link to both in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, you can see both the website and the Instagram account, social media for this, this brand. And by the way, your, your website is beautiful. And, and I like that the first thing that I land on when I get, when I land on the homepage, the first thing that I see is a very simple brand position statement, creative designs that help you and your, and then it's kind of a fill in the blank because ideas decor uh, brand or otherwise, but you help those things stand out and, Absolutely. Um, so the, the simple statement of a brand position up front is, is really, really important. The only thing that I have a question about here, though, is there are other, and you know we talk about brand position, and, and this is more to do with the messaging than the visual piece, uh, but brand position in the context of standing out amidst a busy marketplace. So there are other creative design studios that you all, in a sense, compete with. And when I say compete, especially in the context of this conversation, you have to stand out. You have to differentiate. So I'm curious more specifically about how you differentiate yourselves from the other design studios out there. Because if I were to be objective and kind of play devil's advocate here, there are other design studios that do something similar. How do you all set yourself apart?
2: Yeah, so that's a a great question. So really, the way we see ourselves is that we – live where art intersects with science. So you have, you know, designers out there that they're great at design, um, but they don't really have that science part, right? That technology, the, the the understanding of code, the understanding of psychology, the things that are more science-based and less art, um, Right. Um, and then on the flip side, you've got some great developers out there that are technicians out there that might be good at the science of marketing or something of that nature, but they don't really bring in a lot of art. They're very to the point. they're all about functionality, right? Um, we merge those two things together. We bring in art, uh, We even do illustrations. So we've got a really extensive background in art. but yeah. um, well, then we merge that with the science of design, the science of marketing and the psychology, the 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 sociology, you know, all these things, we've merged them together and that allows us to create something very unique.
0: That's yeah, and I noticed the illustration piece. That that's something that you don't necessarily see in in brand design or a brand identity, the, the visual design element of brand identity. Uh, is illustration, and it's a really interesting illustration style. Wh- who Who is the illustrator, are both of you, and, and what's the background story there?
1: Unless you are looking for stick figures, I would suggest that you go to Polisayo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so Polisayo, tell me a little bit more about this style, too, because it is somewhat unique. I, I don't, this particular style, and, and I'm actually scrolling to your Instagram right now. I think there's actually an example um, of this, for example, on October 10th, there was a post of, uh, it looks like a program. Is, it, is that a wedding program or is that, what am I looking
2: at here? Um, I think that's an invitation. An invitation. In of me. okay. So yeah, so we, we do a lot of different kinds of illustrations and it actually is useful in many different scenarios. Um, so if you talk about the one you're talking about where it's related to a wedding, um, a lot of times we will do illustrations in either like a a, a thank you card, right? Or you know where people can sign, uh, you know the the a board, right? Um, when they attend the reception. Sure. For a brand, you know there are companies that like uh, more playful avatars, right? Where you can actually draw the owners um, and use that on their about page. You have iconography, right? So mm. when you go to a page, sometimes you have different kinds of icons and illustrations built into the design to give it a specific type of field that you're going for. And just generally speaking, there's a lot of times where uh, the, the logos that we develop are illustrations themselves, right? Obviously not driven, uh, not drawn uh, with ink or on paper. Uh, it's still a vector logo. In fact, we're actually in the middle of working with a client right now where she's going to be having an illustrated logo that's that that just looks amazing. It's very detailed, but it really speaks to the core of what her brand is. And that's kind of part of what I'm talking about is that, you know, we're able to bring, you know, the the science, the the, the functional aspect of a logo and merge that with a really creative, illustrative style that really just stands out and makes the logo different from most of what you see out there.
1: And let me just add to that point. I think the one that Nathan is even referring to on the 10th, that was for a brand, you know, so we were working with two of the best like fashion designers in the Dallas, Texas area. You know, the one makes these um, amazing couture handmade gowns and the man, Daniel, he is like one of the best in terms of, you know, men's suits and tuxedos. And so these two high-powered brands were coming together for the first time to, you know, have a joint collection for the 2020 um, season. So naturally, because they're such high-powered, uh, you know, figures in the fashion industry, we wanted to make sure that we brought in everything that represents like couture avant-garde fashion plus the illustration. So we actually hand-drew each of the business owners in their own designs, right? And then we merged that into this, like, custom invitation that we sent out for their VIP guests to attend this fashion show. So even though it was, you know, a business-related project, we made sure that it was, you know, still helping them stand out as, you know, separate entities, but still very fun, playful, speaks to the nature of their industry. And so the illustrations can take so many forms, just really depending on, you know, the scope of the client's projects and what we're trying to help them achieve, you know, so whether you are using it in, in, you know, in stationary or on your website, or as part of your, you know, actual visual identity, they each, you know, were able to kind of capture the essence of what the client needs to make sure that you're standing out in your specific need.
0: Wow. What the, the work is just, it's beautiful. And I actually, if, for those of you listening in, if you're curious to see more of this too, in addition to the Instagram posts that we were just discussing, if you go to Oda creative and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, uh, there's some more examples, including actually a, a portrait um, that was done of DJ Khaled. You all had the opportunity to work with DJ Khaled. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes, we did. Actually, it was a great, <laughs> great experience.
0: That's amazing. Well, th- again, beautiful examples of Fulisayo's artwork there. So make sure you go take a look at that. But I want to keep moving in our outline because we have a lot to talk about here. So talk to me a little bit about the, the biggest lesson. And, and you can certainly both welcome to speak to this. But the biggest lesson are lessons that you have learned as business owners uh, so far? Like if you had the opportunity to share one piece of advice with a fellow entrepreneur, what would that thing be?
1: I would definitely say, you know, regardless of what your industry is, I think it's always important to dream big and plan small. So you basically, you want to establish what your vision is for your business, right? Don't think small, know your ideal aim. And then when you're planning, that's when you break things down into smaller actionable pieces that are actually t- attainable, right? So you have to really mold your life into what you dream and then execute incrementally. Like that would be my little feedback for, for business owners.
0: And I have to to add there, Didi. I mean, this is something that based on our conversation about personality types earlier, this is something you and I both have to work kind of hard at, right?
1: Right, right. I wake <laughs> up every morning knowing I have to do this. It's like on my to-do list.
0: <laughs> That's really good though. I mean, I, I, this is something that I'm going to begin implementing more in my weekly uh, life, if you will, as an entrepreneur is just some planning because I have a task and project management system of sorts in place. But to actually think a little bit bigger picture and think about how I break that down daily throughout the week, um, having an awareness of the week as it comes along. And of course, all of that should fit within the bigger picture goals that you were talking about. But dream big, think small. Um, that's This is a really good reminder for all of us. So that's great. What about you, Fulisayo?
2: Let's see. So that's a good one. I would say understand and it kind of fits into this uh, uh you know what did he just talked about you need to understand why you're in the business in the first place hmm. right um a lot of times, some people say, "Hey, you know, I want to have my own business because uh, then I have freedom. You know, I can, but I pick my time on." And then they start a business, and all their time goes towards their business, right? And they they're not actually free, right? Or you know, if is it a, a, a an income target or revenue target? Is it you know, you need to really step back and understand why did I start this business, uh, and then make sure that all your plans help you achieve that. Um, if it's to have more time, then you need to set your business up to, to, so that you can have more time. If it's to make more money, you need to have a plan in place that allows you to see when you're making more money um, or, or not, right? And what you need to change or whatever it is, right? You need to go into it, clear-eyed, write it down, <laughs> yep. and then work hard at it. So that's, you know, I, I, I think a, a lot of times entrepreneurs or, you know, people that fashion think of themselves as entrepreneurs are just kind of trading a day job for another job, right? Wow. Um, yeah. You know, you're still kind of in that job position when you're just, all you're doing is just doing the, the, the work, yeah. you know, and then. But you call it a business. You, a lot of entrepreneurs need to kind of break out of that, you know, working for somebody to working for themselves, but still kind of working in a job, yeah, (laughs) right. And take that to the next level of actually owning a business, which is very different from just having a job.
0: It's a huge difference. It's it's running the company instead of being run by the company. Yep that that just is. It's so good to be reminded of that consistently, even for myself. Who, I mean, I, I built a brand, Photographer's Edit, that's all about giving photographers time back. Here at the podcast, mm-hmm. we constantly talk about the significance of efficiency and mm-hmm. being clear about your big picture view. But I still have to think, take a step back. And I was even doing it today take a step back and think about how I'm going about my day and my week. So that it, I'm not letting the business take over because then it, it creates the sense of stress and kind of a haphazard existence as a business owner that that just doesn't bring the peace and the freedom that we can have as business owners if we think about it the right way. But starting with a clear picture of what it is that we're actually trying to achieve, it enables us to be able to filter out the stuff that's not relevant. And as a result, have that freedom, that flexibility that that we can as business owners. So that's a good reminder. And this is actually a great segue to my next question about time. Uh, especially for you all as uh, romantic partners. I mean, trying to run a business and then make time for each other as well, that can be somewhat challenging. Um, how do you balance? And, and I know balance is such a almost a cliche word and and it's very subjective in the end, ultimately. But how do you manage to run an, a, a, an established business, but then also create time for yourselves, for each other? Um, how do you, what, what's your workflow? trick or technique or whatever, whatever the thing is, how do you make it work?
1: <laughs> so I'm going to have to actually answer that in two segments. So okay. I'll focus on the things that we do for business first, and then I'll talk about the things that we do to make our marriage work, right? Sure. Um, so definitely time blocking. I cannot stress this enough. It is a thing that keeps us on track the most, right? Most people use their calendars to schedule interruptions to their work. So they'll schedule meetings and they'll schedule phone calls and lunch breaks and dinner plans and then use a space that's not scheduled up to try to get their work done. And we actually do quite the opposite and it really works well for us. So instead of completing our tasks whenever we find the time to work on them, we actually find it's better to schedule time on our calendars in advance to focus on specific tasks, right? So with this approach, we're building our day around our priorities. We're pushing out the things that are not a priority or we're realizing, hey, you know, we're going to delegate them to this team member and we're not scheduling distractions. Like we're actually scheduling productivity. Hmm. And so (laughs) this really helps us get better at tracking like, How much time each activity takes, right? And then once we have a good sense of that, it improves our ability to properly estimate and account for our time. So if we know that we are developing someone's website or developing this app, we literally block out time in the day that says Monday between blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah time, we are going to be developing this app wednesday between this and time and that time this this is devoted to this person's illustration this other segment is devoted to this client's you know visual identity or if we're having strategy you know so we literally block out the tasks that need to be completed versus hey you have a meeting you're free here now you have this four-hour block get to work (laughs) you know so that that really helps us on the business side that's kind of how we stay afloat, so to speak.
0: And, and how do you do Do you do you that at the beginning of, of each week or each day? Or how do you plan for that?
1: We do that at the beginning of each week. So every Monday, we have a touchpoint meeting, so to speak. We go over all of our tasks, our deliverables. We look at our respective calendars and then we start plugging in. Um, it just really keeps us on track, And so we do them Mondays to make sure that we have everything already um, kind of like scheduled in. And then Fridays, we go back and we look at the week and review, right, and kind of see what went well, what was accomplished, what could have been done better. And we're always re-strategizing and, you know, we're always like innovating and looking for new ways to kind of do things better. Yeah.
0: But it starts with that planning at the beginning of the week. That's really, really
1: good. 100%. 100%. And then in marriage, um, <laughs> the good news is that we have a lot of similar kind of hobbies and habits. Like, you know, we're both big time gamers, you know, like full psycho really? and I, huge gamers. Um, I have four brothers. So naturally, I grew up, you know, playing Mortal Kombat on the PS4. <laughs>
2: and so
1: <laughs> now we're both like, you know, I do a lot of RPGs on the Xbox and 2. Build- like a lot of first-person shooters okay and we also try to find games that we can play together we're really big on like Japanese anime and manga so we have a lot of similar interests so wow. it's not too difficult to um make sure that we are constantly like in sync and making time for each other because I think it's less of a struggle for us because it's like hey you know what I'm gonna put on hey want a game yeah sure let's totally game so
0: <laughs> that's okay so what's one of the so. games that you all like to play together
1: Oh, gosh. We you know, we just finished playing, was it the Game of Thrones one that we just did that was kind of two-person?
2: Which one? The, the Game of, game of Thrones?
1: Thrones. I mean, we play a lot of games. so it's, yeah. Or the Prison Breakout one.
2: Yeah, the so. Prison Breakout is the last one we were playing. So there's this EA game. Um, I forget what it's called now, but it's basically a two-player game where you're, Breaking it out of prison. It's kind of, kind of like that Shawshank Redemption.
1: <laughs> yeah. really? Or like we love playing Assassin's Creed. We bring in the new year every year because they always release a new Assassin's Creed around the holiday period. Yeah. And literally every year we buy the new Assassin's Creed. And even though it's like one player, we'll sit together and I might start or he might start. And we just kind of follow the, the, the storyline together. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, I, no, I have to say, first of all, I'm, I'm not a gamer by any means. Um, occasionally when we have an Xbox, we'll sit down and play an essay we because my kids, uh, Austin who's 17, and then my daughter Addison, who's 14. We'll, we'll occasionally play. Uh, and Assassin's Creed is one of those games that I've played a little bit that I find really enjoyable because of that kind of open world environment where you can yes. just endlessly yes. explore. And it's easy to yes. get just drawn into it, sucked into it, feel like you're, you're literally there in that environment. And I really
2: love that about that game. Yeah. <laughs> And, and speaking of kids, so a little big planet. We're playing that with our daughter.
1: Our oh. daughter's four, and so she's about to join the
0: bandwagon.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it! That's <laughs> really fun.
1: The full size, you a whole lot, and then you know, occasionally with me as well.
0: <laughs> oh, that's really really great. Well, I, I'm. I love that you all make time for 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 fun and for each other. And and you know, there's something to be said too, and particularly in the context of a relationship, also running a business together, of having some independence and something that you enjoy doing on your own, um, and then being able to come together ultimately and do something together. And and so I like the combo that I think that's really healthy for the sake of a relationship. Let's talk about an impactful business or self help book, or maybe both if you'd like, that has made a really big impact in your life or in your lives.
1: Mine is the art of strategy. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because strategy comes, you know, um, a little bit harder to me, like I have to really sit and strategize, whereas I think fullire it's really like inherent for him, so for me, the artist strategy okay. um It's a game theorist guide to success in business and life. And, you know, game theory really means strategic thinking, right? (laughs) It's the art of anticipating your opponent's next moves. Okay. You know, it's kind of knowing fully well that your rival is trying to do the same thing as you, right? And then kind of trying to stay one step ahead. And the Christmas dilemma is a great example of this, but you can apply it to markets, micro and macroeconomics. So for me, I I really go back and gravitate towards that a lot. What's yours, babe?
2: Uh, Rich Dad Porter. Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. I'm not a fan of some of his podcasts, <laughs> but um, he's he got some really very good very insights side on side. money, um, on how to think about money. Uh, he talks about his biological dad, a typical working man that worked in academia. He refers to his biological dad as the, his poor dad. I mean, they weren't poor you know, they were just normal. <laughs> uh, but then, but he, you know, it's a catchy title. And then his mentor, he refers to his mentor as his rich dad. Uh, and he just really kind of talks about, you know, how to think about entrepreneurship, about money, about wealth, the difference in, in kind of that mentality that you kind of need to really, um, you know, think and behave and, and do the types of activities that, you know, the, the 0.1% um kind of uh how, how they kind of go about using money using leverage how you know one of the topics he talks about is failure you know a lot of times you know the average person is taught you know failure is bad right like mm. the, you fail and you're a failure um whereas really you know once you step outside of that kind of thinking that failure is is, is unacceptable uh, you realize failure is acceptable. Some of the best businessmen, the most successful people have many, many failures. Henry Ford, Steve jobs, the list goes on. They fail multiple times. Um, But the difference is that they don't let that get them down. They don't see that as, as uh, you know, a fatal thing. It's part of growth. Um, You have to be willing to fall to fly. Right. Um, And, yeah, it's it, it, you know, and he's got a whole bunch of little nuggets like that that he kind of talks about. That when you just think about it, you're just like, yeah, you know, thinking about money the wrong way. I'm thinking about how I'm approaching some of these things the wrong way. Uh, to have that mentality that that really will help you step above what the average person kind of um, does in mm-hmm. in their kind of daily the, the way they kind of tackle. Uh, daily life versus what the 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 the, the top tier of uh, earners, or what they do to 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 make money, to, to pay less taxes, <laughs> to to really be successful, you know, and do it multiple times. You see, you know, Elon Musk and all these entrepreneurs. A lot of times, you see them they make a company, maybe sell it, uh, or maybe just become. kind of on the board of it or whatever and then they start another company you know Um, and then maybe they even do a third one Um, you see that with a lot of successful entrepreneurs um, and it's a way of thinking it's not that one idea it's 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 a part of their being of of their mentality
0: yeah i mean it all starts with the the way that we frame things the, the narrative that we tell ourselves right and that can literally set us up for success or not. And you're yeah. right. That, that book really does focus on the mentality uh, with which you approach Financial management and ultimately financial success, and um, it's a classic for sure. I read it years ago, and and definitely a good one. We'll link to that in the show notes. And then the art of strategy, I just added that to my my. Uh, I have this ongoing wish list on Amazon of of things that I'm interested in purchasing later, so I just added that in because that looks really really good. <laughs> and i I need all the help that I can get in thinking more about. Um, a detailed approach to to planning, particularly for the for the sake of business. So this is good, but we'll link to both of those in the show notes. Again, com for all of our listeners. If you don't leverage the show notes yet, please do because it's a wealth of resources, links and uh, talking points from each episode. Make sure you take advantage of that. All right. So I want to transition to our kind of primary focus for today in conversation, um, which again has to do with Brand design, more specifically, the visual elements of a brand design or a visual identity, as as we said earlier. And uh, I I know that and I'll be the first to raise my hand here. And in fact, I'm going to have to post a picture of the first business card that I ever designed for my photography business. This would have been back probably in 2001, maybe 2002, somewhere in that realm, it is the most cringy. In fact, I'm going to have to send this to you all the emails <laughs> so you can see it too. It's so, so bad. But we, I think we're all, or many of us probably in the photography industry are kind of guilty of trying to design our own brand's visual identity. And um, I realize that there are occasional exceptions, but at the end of the day, much of this artwork doesn't do a great job of representing our brands very well. So to that point, I wonder with you all's expertise and experience, if you wouldn't mind just sharing some areas where most kind of amateur designed artwork falls short and doesn't represent a a brand well, and maybe why too, because it's easy to say, Hey, that that's wrong, or you shouldn't do that. But I also want our listeners to understand why that can be problematic for the sake of representation of a brand.
1: Right. So for me, the things that I always try to, when we have, when we do our strategy sessions with other business owners, one of the things we always tell them when we're evaluating their brand is your color. I know we've, we've thrown around the word psychology a few times during this call, but there really is a psychological aspect to branding that a lot of people don't really factor in. Hmm. Right. So let me just throw out the word color, for example. Okay. Okay. You know, sometimes people pick things that are their favorite color because they they like it, they're drawn to it, but you really have to think about who your audience is, right? Example, if you're in a high energy or you're in a flashy kind of niche, but your favorite color is brown in real life, so you go with that. (laughs) (laughs) See, you laugh. So you get it already. You're doing it wrong, right? So it's really important to kind of sit back and when you're working with a either a company like ours or you know, brand strategists or whatever, if you decide to do it yourself, it's really important to really consider who your ideal client is and who your target audience is. You know, what vibe, what energy are you putting out based on the colors that are representative in your brand? So that's just like one quick touch point would be color. Okay. For me, the next thing would be, I would say, typography. Okay. That's that's one that I feel like it's crucial. You have to pick the right type of fonts and weights of font to convey the subconscious feel of your brand. Mm. Like everything in branding happens Not everything, but most of the work happens on a subconscious level, right? Right. You want to be able to influence people without them even knowing that they're being influenced. You want them to see your brand and immediately have an affinity to it without being able to describe why. So there's a reason why, let's say, companies that cater to children have playful fonts, right? And serious industries use more plain fonts. Can you imagine if a serious brand, I don't even know, pick an industry, any industry, and they had like really like playful typeface type of fonts that would really cater to children more, like Dr. Seuss type of (laughs) fonts, like that absolutely would not work. right? You know, so it's why very personal brands often use script fonts, like a lot of photographers and so on, right? <laughs> well, to that point, friends. though, I am,
0: I'm kind of curious, though, if do you and maybe you were getting ready to comment on this, I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but that is there is there a case too for not just using font for the sake of the, the right context or misusing a font in the wrong context, but also maybe overusing a font? Because like you said, there are there's quite a bit of script font that, that happens in the photography industry, can that overuse ultimately kind of cloud the the potential client's perspective about oh which gosh, photographer absolutely. to pick?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So a few years ago, there was this one font that was, I hate to use the word overused because it's a beautiful font, but it's called Burgess Script. Okay. Oh my gosh. I saw that font everywhere. <laughs> Every, when I say everywhere, I mean, I would, everywhere. And at, at, at what point is it really resonating with your clients? everyone is using it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just signing your names with the same font. So yes, there is such a thing as overuse of, of a particular typography. And, you know, but that's also why, you know, as a designer, when you work with a designer, they'll be sure to source the correct fonts for you and provide options. And, and we even create custom fonts at times, right? Mm. So you'll, you'll see some of our logos where it's actually not, you know, a a typeface that is available for purchase right because we've modified and manipulated um vectors in such a way that it provides us with the result we want so it's legible and you know says something but it's not something you can immediately download and it's not available you know so it's really unique to your brand you know it's part of your you know i guess you know secret weapons
0: (laughs) yeah that's really cool though
1: (laughs) you know what keeping it simple is something that i actually wanted to add okay Um, just because you can add complexity doesn't mean you should. And I love complex things. You know, a lot of our works, um, they are, you know, kind of out of the box, they're very unique, they they're just a little different. But that doesn't apply in every scenario, right? So there are scenarios where simple simpler logos are just more memorable, they're more identifiable, like I don't know, Nike the swoosh, right? or Apple, or McDonald's, or heck even Target, right? So it's really on a case-by-case case basis. Um, I don't know. So those are my I think, top three.
0: I, I think i I'm glad that you point out the, the importance of simplicity. And if we're looking at this other way, again, where where a lot of the the personally designed uh, visual identities for, for these various brands in the photography industry fall short, the wrong color, um, again, not thinking about the brand's message and the target client being spoken to, the wrong typography, again, for the same reason, and then complex logos or overly complex logos uh, or or brand design, visual identity design. Uh, This is something that, and I I think this is maybe in some ways even more applicable to to the messaging of the brand, but photographers get carried away. And and certainly I've been guilty of it as well with um, too much text. Um, and overly busy sites that get in the way of, of communicating mm-hmm. the significance of the the value proposition that that brand yep. actually brings to bear. And so less I mean as, as cliche as it may sound, less is more mm-hmm. um, absolutely as, when it comes to effectively communicating that that brand position or the value proposition. so uh, that's a really great reminder. Any other ideas to add here, Folio, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, those are really good ones. So not necessarily directly tied to the design of the visual identity, but the name of the business is something mm. um, that should be thought out too. A lot of photographers use their name as their business name yeah which' is not a bad thing. you could do that um, but you should do it purposefully and, and have thought through it you know the we work with some 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 photographers that they they've grown and now they are actually trying to use other hires to do a lot of their work. Right. So that becomes a little bit more difficult when your brand name, your, your business name is, is your name, right? People are hiring you. Right, right. <laughs> so you send them another photographer. Yeah. It's not as seamless because you know, your name's on the thing. They're like, okay, well, am I not important enough to get the, the, the main guy? As opposed to, if you know that's where you want to grow to, not everybody wants to do that, right? Sure, Which is sure. perfectly fine. Yeah. But if that's where you want to grow to, think about it. Think about how your business name might impact how you're actually able to utilize other people um, and delegate some of that work to other photographers. And, and, you know, so so that's that dynamic too that I think. Uh, photographers should actually really think about think about where what the your masterpiece for your business is what's the end goal right uh, and then make sure your naming uh, helps you achieve that and not it isn't another obstacle for you to overcome another one might be the use of raster images uh photographers deal with bitmap images with with Rasterized images all the time. Uh, you're doing photography; uh, it has to be. Uh, but when it comes to your visual identity, you definitely want to stay away from um, using raster images. They, you know, they're made out of pixels. So if you scale them, they become blurry or or pixelated. Which is, you, you've got to have quality when you're presenting your visual identity. So you've got to stay with vector-based images that that can scale as small as you needed to or as big as you want it to.
0: That's interesting. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in just a second because I'd love some more context to that. But when you talk about the wrong name of the business, I I love that this harkens back to your point earlier about thinking big picture and letting that big picture set of goals drive what you do in business. And this even applies to this idea of choosing a name for the business. And it it reminds me of the book, The E-Myth, or The E-Myth Revisited, that talks about building a scalable brand. And part of that process, especially long-term, if you're going to bring other people in and potentially even consider selling that brand to somebody else, if, you, if, if it all revolves around you, not only the workflow, but ultimately the brand itself, you're going to be in a bit of a difficult place and having to go through a transition, which can, of course, ultimately affect the brand quite significantly. So
1: Absolutely. that's great to think
0: about, or it's so important to think about big picture. And I'm glad that you remind us of that using rasterized images or raster images. So this is an interesting one and totally unexpected, honestly. Um, but I, I want to dig into this a little bit. What format um, would you suggest photographers should be working in? But then how does that apply to what, you know, taking those images to the website um, and, and still being able to put images on a website that don't take too long to load?
2: Yeah. So the good thing about vector images now, when you save it, you can, save it as a png or or even a a jpeg but usually logos are best as pngs you'll find that the file size when you've kind of done the other things that we talked about where you're keeping it simple uh, where you're not using uh, too many colors right usually you're going to use one to three colors in a logo and you know, you'll find that uh, the PNG format works really well with that because it's based off of colors, right? So when we're talking about not using the raster images, that's when you're making the logo, right? You can export it to a bitmap image for for the web, okay? Because at that point, your source file, your 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 the actual logo itself that you created can be scaled and used accordingly. So right. if you needed to print it out. You, you know save it as a PDF or EPS or AI file. You can con- Those formats are vectors, right? Um, so the, the printer can scale it however they want to. When you're going to use it on your website, then you export it to a PNG, um, and then you can control how big you make that export depending on how you're going to use it. If it's just going to be, you know, maybe you have a version of your logo that's in your footer that's really small, you can export a f- small file size. And, you know, again, if you make it a PNG you can have the transparent background that allows you to play with the location and, 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 and kind of really have freedom to, to use it how you want to use it. Uh, but you can export it small. You can export it big if it's going to be this huge masthead at the top of your website or, or whatever. Right. Um, But the key is to make sure that in your source file, you're not taking, maybe you take an image of a flower that you really like, and then you're like, oh, I really like this image I just took. And then you make that your logo without actually redrawing it um, as a vector. That's a bad practice.
0: But this is also a good reminder too that we have wonderful professionals and experts such as yourselves to handle this for us. Because I, I mean, I was already starting to get not overwhelmed, but because these these terms are somewhat familiar to me. But um, the idea of of coming up with that source file, designing the source file for the sake of use and and multiple um scenarios i'd rather just defer that work to a professional and uh and so this is of course one of the reasons why i'm so glad that we have you all on today because i I want our listeners to have um a resource uh certainly on multiple levels for for this type of work ultimately Mm -hmm. what we should be doing as business owners and and again those that are running our businesses and not being run by our business is to mm-hmm. delegate as much yep. of the work as we possibly can to other professionals who specialize in that particular line of work. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and in this in this case, of course, Dee and, and Felicia, we we um, have you all as the the experts. And uh, <laughs> so and, and to that point, actually, I want to get back because we're pointing out shortcomings and in, in the work of of those who decide to take on this work themselves and not delegate. But let's, let's kind of end the conversation on a, a slightly more proactive, a little more positive note. And, and I'd love um, if, if you would just kind of go back maybe and comment on, on some of these elements, some of the things that photographers can at least begin considering, even if they're getting ready to go talk to um, a professional designer, uh, visual identity designer, brand designer such as yourselves. What what ideas should they be thinking about a little bit more as they go to have that conversation with the professional so that they're ready to design something that best represents their brand, uh, that they're not using the wrong colors or too many colors, as you pointed out, Filosayo, um, not using the wrong typography, um, not being overly complex in, in their ideals about what this brand should look like? Considering the name, of course, and and uh, and even n- not going to the extent of of technically uh, confusing the, the the design process using raster images or otherwise. What what kind of things should they be thinking about on a proactive level, um, so they can begin an intelligent conversation with their brand designer?
1: So the good thing is they don't even have to go through the stress of coming to us already prepared, right? Okay. Like it's not necessarily their responsibility to have to figure all that out. That's that's literally what we're here for. We're here to make the process seamless, easy, stress-free. So a lot of our clients, when they come to us, you know, everything starts with a conversation, of course. We, we sit them down, really try to get an understanding of where they are in their business, what they like, what they don't like, and ultimately where they see themselves going, right? And then based on that, we have strategy in place, which is again, to full-size point of listening, <laughs> you know, we really try to understand where they're trying to go. Mm. And so once we have a good sense of that, we have certain processes in place, um, trade secrets, hint, hint, <laughs> <laughs> that, we, that we use to kind of draw out the things that they don't even know that they're looking for, right? A lot of people come to us and they say, oh my gosh, you know, I gave you guys jargon and you were able to you know, translate that and repurpose it, and give me what I didn't even know I wanted. Mm. So, to your point, they don't need to come ready. Like we stay ready, right? And that's what we're here to do: is to take the mess in your head and turn it into something beautiful, <laughs> something that is recognizable, right? Yeah,
0: no, that's a good way to sum it up. Though the mess in our head, I, I mean, I can certainly relate to that idea. That makes sense. So, really, the, the probably the next best step, rather than even trying to consider, as you're saying what these, these ideas mean in the context of creating a new brand identity. I mean, and and this certainly was not meant, this episode was not meant to be a big commercial, but, but ultimately what we're talking about here isn't just simply recommending Oda Creative. What we're talking about is the significance of delegating what is not your specialty. You're a photographer and ultimately an entrepreneur, a business owner, It, it is in your best interest to delegate work such as brand design to somebody who specializes in it and you can just you can just make that move stop stressing out about it let somebody else who actually knows what they're doing take care of it uh, that's the best route to go on on just on multiple levels for the sake of time for the sake of the best representation of your brand and uh, and you can go focus on the things that only actually require your involvement and that will further move your business forward so this is this is good conversation it's good context uh, for the photographer, better understanding of, of the potential shortcomings of trying to take this on themselves and a good encouragement for running their business, not being run by their business, delegating the things that aren't their specialty. And I appreciate that reminder as well. Uh, Fulisayo and, and Didi, thank you for making time for our podcast episode. And, and if you don't mind here, just in closing one more time, will you share with our listeners where they can find you online?
2: Sure. So you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at odacreative.com. That's O-D-A-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E or on our website uh, at uh, www.odacreative.com.
0: Perfect. This is great. Uh, thank you so much, both of you, for your time here at the beginning of the week, um, for your energy, which is, is contagious, and uh, for making time ultimately to share your expertise with the Boca community.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having us anytime we are happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit milu, This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.